Well, many of you guys may not know me. This is the first time I've ever spoken here uh, at Anderson um, from the pulpit. My name is Trey Corey. I am uh, the Southwood College pastor, and it's a joy to be with you guys. Um, since many of y'all may not know me, there's a couple things you need to know about me. Uh, the first is something we need to kind of just address and get it out of the way. If you feel like maybe you've seen me before, uh, or you think I might look like somebody, uh, let's deal with this now, all right? I get it all the time. <laughs> I know I look like Joel. I, I get it all the time, all right? Um, Just to go ahead and address another rumor, it is not true that when we opened the Southwood campus, it is not true that we thought about using my face on billboards across town. Not true. I will admit to you, though, I have thought at times about walking into our local Barnes and Nobles, bringing a few friends in, pulling a few of his books off the bookshelf and start signing them just to create a frenzy. Um, But I will assure you, I've heard it before, so you don't have to come say, hey, do you know you look like Joel? Heard it. Um, I will assure you, though, that the resemblances between he and I stop at outward appearance. Um, I am married. My wife is Marcy. We are awaiting our first child along the way in mid-October sometime, so we are excited. We have a little uh, puppy named Millie, who's about a year and a half. We're still teaching discipline to young little puppy. Um, But uh, the second thing you need to know about me this morning is that I have always loved field trips. Uh, Whether it was elementary school, junior high, high school, college, and even now in my adulthood, I've always loved a good field trip. I was always up for one. I I think it was primarily because they were always a chance to get out of the office, to get away from the classroom, to not be lectured, to not have traditional work, so to speak. Uh, They were, in a sense, escapes of fun. Uh, Some of my more favorite ones in elementary school always involved the planetarium. I love the little constellation maps that went above your head. I love the inside AC. I love the cushy chairs. I love the voice, the soothing voice of the instructor. I think planetariums are single-handedly responsible for why I have a vast love affair with Star Trek. I'm just going to confess that I'm a Trekkie, all right? Um, but there was a different field trip that was far more pivotal and far more transformational in my life. It was sixth grade, and we went to a place called Enterprise City. Enterprise City was our school district's attempt at exposing sixth graders to a free market economy, uh, to the working world, so to speak. And so in this little town, you had businesses set up, banks, uh, eateries, uh, radio, mayor office. You had every kind of thing you would imagine in a little town, and everyone had jobs. It was a little bit of a different field trip because we had to prepare for it. We all spent weeks preparing in a class for our roles. And I loved this field trip. Uh, you need to know, I wasn't hugely phenomenal in athletics. I wasn't great in music. And so when my teacher selected me as bank vice president and as second in charge of this entire free market economy, I was excited. All right. At 515 hour, I also had the second highest income of anyone in the city. And so I was also wealthy. Uh, This trip did a couple things for me in my life. Uh, One, it created a huge excitement, so much so that I would go back for uh, multiple summer camp experiences for two to three weeks at a time. Uh, It only added to my dorky resume of summer camp experiences that included yo-yo camp. (laughs) Yo-yo camp, yes. Also, uh, I also went to NASA space camp. Uh, We had the little jumpsuits. I I was not your typical summer camp kid. I wasn't at your outdoor camp, so I liked the inside AC kind of weird experiences, all right? That's kind of who I was. Uh, But Enterprise City taught me two main things. It did two main things in my life. It taught me to work hard. And it taught me the motivation or the reward of working hard. It did those two things. It taught me to work hard and it motivated me to work hard. And what we're going to see this morning as we open to Proverbs chapter 6 is we're going to see a different field trip uh, to a different place 
with a different student. But the field trip, when we're done with it, is going to produce hopefully the same two things in our life that Enterprise City did for me. It's going to teach us how to work hard and it's going to motivate us to work hard. So turn with me, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs 6, Solomon writes, starting in verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. We have a simple field trip here and verse 6 is going to kind of set up for us the details of our field trip. First of all, the destination, not to Enterprise City this time, but simply to an ant colony. Solomon writes, go to the ant. Typically, this would have been the, the harvester ant found throughout Palestine. So we're going to an ant colony. But the, the student in this field trip is a little different. He identifies a student in uh, verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Anytime you're identified in the scriptures by your name in the simple vowel O preceding your name, you're probably in trouble. Uh, the sluggard here is going to be identified in verse 6, but we see the sluggard throughout the book of Proverbs. And so what I want to do for you kind of is pull back a little bit and give you a profile of this student. Because unless you understand the student, you won't understand the lesson that wisdom is going to teach this student. And so let me kind of take a moment here to unpack for you, how does Proverbs present the sluggard? Who is he and what does he do? I'm going to give you guys four basic principles or activities of the sluggard. Uh, primarily, he is one who leaves work unfinished. What he starts, he doesn't finish. Proverbs tells us, chapter 12, verse 27, A lazy man does not roast his prey, but the precious possession of a man is diligence. Again, the lazy man will go about the business of killing the prey, bringing the prey home, but he won't actually cook it, and therefore he won't have a meal. He starts something, but he doesn't finish it. We get even more of a vivid picture later on in Proverbs chapter 19. Uh, We find the sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but will not even bring it back to his mouth. He begins, he puts his hand in the dish, but he doesn't bring it back to his mouth. He starts, but he doesn't finish. He's one who leaves work unfinished, and therefore he's going to make excuses as to why that's the case. Not only does he not leave it unfinished, but he's going to make excuses for why it is unfinished. I love this excuse found in the book of Proverbs of the sluggard. The sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I will be killed in the streets. In ancient times, these cities would have been fortified by walls, even layers of walls, and so the likelihood of finding a lion in the city was ridiculous. Uh, The slugger doesn't only make excuses, but he makes ridiculous excuses. Uh, It reminds me a little bit of a child. Uh, Children, as they want out of work or out of chores, aren't sophisticated in how they present their excuse. Uh, I think the slugger does the same. He's not sophisticated in his excuses. And really, the movement from childhood to adulthood is learning how to make better excuses, right? (laughs) We get far more sophisticated in our excuses, especially for some of us that are spiritual and theological. Sometimes we get theological in our excuses. So why do we avoid work? Some of us will say, well, work is a product of the curse. Uh, It came because of the curse and and God rested, so why do I need to work? I want to remind you this morning that actually work was there prior to the curse. Adam and Eve were were to care for all that God had created. Work was there from the very get-go and what happens after the curse is that work becomes hard. So it's a universal experience for you and I that diligence isn't always our first taste. It isn't always what we most want to do. Uh, There's a sense of fulfillment in work, but there's also a sense in which you and I all feel like, man, I would just love to get out of this at times. 
In fact, it's going to be, we're going to see in the book of Proverbs that not only does the sluggard then make excuses, but what we're going to see is that it's not just an individual problem. This issue of laziness, when I think of it typically, I think, hey, if I want to lay on the couch and do nothing all day, like I will the sunny afternoon more than likely, it's just my issue, right? It, it is an individual item. What Proverbs is going to show us, though, he's going to pull the layers back and show us actually it affects the community that we live in. Proverbs chapter 10, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy one to those who send him. Smoke to the eyes, vinegar to the teeth would have been an irritant. It would have been frustrating, annoying, perplexing. And the idea here, the image is so is the sluggard to those that are, he's around. He's, he's frustrating, he's annoying, and, he, and he's disappointing to all those that he lives with. It's not just an individual problem. In fact, Proverbs will say it just one more step further. He also who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. It's not just disappointment, but laziness will lead to destruction of an individual and even of a community. It's not an isolated individualistic item. Proverbs will go even one more step further and say that it's not just a communal problem, but if it affects the community, therefore, is an issue of wisdom. Uh, The sluggard lacks wisdom. Proverbs tells us, chapter 10, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. The lazy don't have wisdom. They don't foresee and they don't navigate through life in a manner that reflects wisdom. In fact, that's why I think you see throughout Proverbs, there's a connection between the sluggard and sleep. It's a literal connection, but it's also a figurative connection. Uh, Proverbs chapter 19, laziness cast into a deep sleep. I love this image, Proverbs 26. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. (laughs) Just a constant activity. It's a constant lifestyle. And it's not just a a literal image here, but I think the image is meant to go beyond the literal to the figurative. Just like when you're asleep and you you don't have alert, you don't have senses, so is the sluggard in terms of wisdom, in terms of his figurative senses. He's not alert, he doesn't discern, he doesn't see well. I picked this topic months ago. And as I was getting into it, I was thinking, why in the world did I pick this topic? Uh, What's the big deal about laziness? Okay, it affects the community. Maybe it it seems like it affects our our ability to discern, but why is that? How is that? And I thought of uh, the necessity to see a little bit more captured and personified in an individual. And so I went to one of my favorite characters in one of my favorite TV shows from Seinfeld. So here's a little picture of George Cassandra to kind of teach you what the sluggard looks like and why he doesn't discern well. I can't keep doing this to myself. I'm exhausted. Can't you grab a nap at work? Not with that big glass window looking out onto the hall. And I love a good nap. Sometimes it's the only thing getting me out of bed in the morning. I'll see you. Bye. Jerry? Look at my eyes. A little less beady today. Because I'm refreshed. I finally found a way to sleep in my office. Under the desk. Eh? I lie on my back, I tuck in the chair. I'm invisible. Sounds like a really cool fort. <laughs> oh, 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 this is unbelievable. This is better than my bed at home. All right. Morning, George. Morning, Mr. Wilhelm. <laughs> Mr. Steinbrenner? That's what they call me. Your grandchildren are here to see you. Oh, well, send them in, send the tykes in, wait to them. <laughs> All right. This episode is actually titled The Nap, uh, which is kind of fitting. And what I love about the episode is it ends is uh, Steinbrenner, the owner of the Yankees, grandkids come in as, as along with a the dog. They find George underneath the desk. 
And George realizes he's got to get his way out of this situation. So he calls Jerry. Has Jerry actually call in a bomb threat to the office of the New York Yankees? Again, a sluggard doesn't foresee where this is heading because what happens next is, what do you do in the light of a bomb threat? You seek shelter. Where do you seek shelter in an office with windows? Under a desk. So he's trying to escape and get out of his laziness, but he ends up getting caught because a sluggard doesn't foresee and doesn't discern well. Laziness isn't just an individual issue, but it ultimately reflects our wisdom. But Proverbs will go even one more step further and say it's not just an issue of wisdom, but it is an issue of righteousness. The sluggard actually also lacks righteousness, not just wisdom, but he actually lacks righteousness as well. Look at the contrast here, Proverbs 15. The way of the lazy is as a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Notice the contrast. The sluggard's contrasted with the righteous because the sluggard doesn't possess righteousness. In the midst of having to make excuses for why something hasn't been finished, more than likely, then we result to moral compromise. Just with laziness, one's going to find a lack of wisdom, but one will also often find moral compromise. And so Proverbs really for us detail who this student is and who is in necessity of a field trip. And the object of this field trip is going to come at the end of verse 6. Here's the goal. Observe her ways and be wise. Solomon's going to take the sluggard away and try to teach the sluggard wisdom. To restore wisdom and to restore then righteousness as well. Well, what is it Solomon wants the sluggard to see? He's going to take him to the ant and he's going to show him the ant and two particular aspects of the ant that wisdom is going to teach the sluggard. Specifically, look at verse 7. The ant which having no chief officer or ruler prepares her food. What I want you to notice is that in the absence of authority, there is activity. That in the absence of a dictator, there is actually diligence and discipline. That there is initiative that the ant has. That even though the ant doesn't, doesn't have authority, the ant still works. Uh, in fact, in an ant colony, there is social organization. They work with one another that's instinctual and hardwired into the DNA, but there is no queen bee, so to speak. There's not a queen ant that is dictating and ruling over the colony and and telling everybody what to do. But in the midst of the social organization, what you see in the ant is initiative. No one's prodding the ant. No one's pushing the ant. The ant, by instinct, has initiative. In some ways, you could say that the ant is self-propelled. In fact, I think many of the women in our lives are self-propelled. I think as you look at the ant, you're going to see that it's going to be put forth in the feminine gender. Technically, in the Hebrew, the noun for ant is a feminine gender noun, but I don't think it's coincidence. I think in many of the women of our lives, we see women who are constantly self-propelled. There is physical activity, and if there is not physical activity, then there is mental activity. Women are often always thinking about something or doing something. Sometimes in my home, I just want to tell my wife, could you please just sit? (laughs) Watch a show with me. You know, it'd make me feel a lot less guilty, right? Uh, Because women are just self-propelled. You almost have to... Allow them to hit a wall for them to slow down. But men, on the other wise, us men, right? We hear the word self-propelled and we think something completely different. We think of a way to avoid work, right? So I have a riding self-propelled mower that does all the work for me and even carts me around so I can see it doing all the work. It's amazing. It's, a, it's phenomenal. We men will do and think about nothing at the drop of a hat, right? Initiative. We do have initiative as men, but we have a perfect willingness to veg and to rest, And what I think you see in the ant is the ant has an instinctive initiative. Uh, There is no authority, yet there is activity. And I want to ask you this morning, are you one that works hard or are you one that is hardly working? As you look at your life, as you look at home life, as you look at your work setting, as you look at school setting students, as you look at the different spheres of your life, are you one that would be described as a hard worker or one that would be described as hardly working? 
I think for many of us, we want to rest. And so the question is, how do we walk through those different realms of our life? And for many of us, we are self-propelled. And for many of us, there are certain Tasmanian devils out here that are just a flur of activity. And what Solomon is going to do in the very next verse is kind of nip it in the bud. He's going to kind of pivot. He's going to say, hey, look, the presence of activity for any reason isn't wisdom. Activity at the wrong time or activity for the wrong reason isn't wisdom. And so let's look a little bit closer because the ant has not just initiative, but he has something else as well. Verse 8, the ant prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. The ant not only has initiative, but the ant has foresight. The ant works at the right time and for the right reason. When does the ant work? The ant works when there's harvest time. Because come wintertime, there will not be an opportunity for harvest, but there's still a need for consumption. So the ant works for the right time. And the ant also works for the right reason. The ant works in light of a known need. I think sometimes many of us are hard workers, but I think we work hard for the wrong reasons. I want to ask you this morning, if you are a hard worker, if you're like the Martha that's out there of the Mary and Martha combo, why do you work hard? What is it that drives your initiative I think for many of us, it's like me in sixth grade, my first taste of materialism. Man, at 5.50 an hour, a sixth grader had all he could ever desire, right? Uh, For many of us, I think we work hard for the wrong reason. Whether it's materialism that drives us, we want to also sometimes uh, come out of the right side of a comparison. We compare ourselves to others, and so we work frantically in order to measure up. And I think even more spiritually, I think sometimes we work hard in in lack of faith. The ant worked in light of a known need. Okay, the ant didn't have emotion or spirituality, but the ant knew what was coming. I think sometimes we work hard because we don't know the future, and so we work hard as a means to control the future. It is almost sometimes a lack of faith for us to work hard. And so sometimes we work hard, but for the wrong reasons, or some of us procrastinate, and it's the wrong timing. So I want to ask you this morning, if you are working hard, why are you working hard? What is the drive that drives you? What we're going to see with the ant this morning is that the ant had absolutely no authority and no urgency, and yet he worked. There was activity without authority and without urgency, and what we're going to see with the sluggard in verses 10 to 11 is the opposite. In the absence of authority, in the absence of urgency, the sluggard is going to have a very different response. It's going to be idleness. Look with me in verse 9. Solomon asked the sluggard, How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? The duration of the sluggard's idleness is continual. This wasn't something we just happened upon the sluggard and found him just resting. This is a, a lengthy process. But even further, we're going to see the cause for his slumber in verse 10. The sluggard is going to kind of respond back to Solomon. Here's the sluggard's response. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. In the sluggard's mind, it's just, hey, give me a little more rest and then I'll get to work. Let me get a little more time to myself and then I'll, I'll get done what I've been held to be responsible to get done. The sluggard is deceived by the smallness of what he's wasting. A couple things I want you to observe in verse 11, verse 10, I'm sorry, is that little is repeated over and over again. Three times you see little. The idea is this, it's not a little. The little is just adding up more and more and more. It reminds me of every day when I come home, especially after Girl Scouts have started delivering their delicious thin mitt cookies. I come home and I have a little bit of a ritual slash routine. I come home and it's going to be a little while till dinner. I'm kind of hungry when that kind of pre-dinner snack. I bring some Thin Mints out. I sit down maybe for a little show to kind of relax. And I usually say, hey, I'm just going to have a few, but I'll go ahead and grab the sleeve of Thin Mints and sit down, right? You know where this is going. I'll have a few and then I'll have a few more. But by the time the show is finished, it's been 25 minutes and the sleeve is gone, right? 
the smallness always leads to repeatedly to much. Even more, there's another thing that I want you guys to notice in verse 10 that's not there apparently on the surface, and that's every noun in verse 10 shows up in your English translations as a singular noun, but it's actually in the plural, in the Hebrew text. It's not just that it's a little sleep, but it's a little sleeps. It's not just a little folding of the hands, but it's multiple folding hands. Not just a little slumber, but a little slumbers. The sluggard in the absence of, of authority, in the absence of urgency, continues down a path that is not naive and it's not just something we just happen to find him in. But this is a persistent pattern in his life. I ran across this quote and I, and I love how it kind of reveals the sluggard's lack of wisdom and where he's going to head. Found this, the sluggard is deceived by the smallness of his surrenders. So by inches and minutes, his opportunities slip away. The reality for the sluggard is a situation is coming in the future that he will not be able to stop. And if he does not work for the right reason, if he does not work at the right time, then his opportunity will be missed. Which is why wisdom in verse 11 is going to come forth now with a warning. Wisdom is done teaching and wisdom is now going to warn. Look at verse 11. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. The image and the idea is this, that a day is going to come when the sluggard's opportunity is gone to work. It will be winter time. There is no more time to harvest, and yet there is hunger, and there will be no opportunity to provide for one's hunger because one's missed the opportunity. Generically, the idea is this, that uh, lack of diligence leads to ruin. Lack of diligence leads to ruin. And I think this principle is true in just about every arena of our life. If you're married this morning and, and you do not work at marriage, your marriage will suffer. Marriage takes effort, it's difficult, it, it is a joy, and yet it takes effort. If you do not labor, it, have discipline at work, your performance will suffer, and those that watch you in your work setting will also make assumptions of you, and you'll probably not be promoted. If you're a student and you're in school and you do not work diligently, your grades will show. Even in the spiritual life, I think uh, New Testament writers use Uh, All kinds of analogies, farming, athletic, to show that the spiritual life is one that the only way to mature and to press forward is in light and through discipline and diligence. There is one area of life where this is not true. In every arena of life, this is true. Diligence will prevent ruin, but in one area, the harder you work, the, the less will come. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, if you've never entered into a relationship with Christ, the scriptures tell us That your sin and your imperfection that is in all of us has separated us from God. That separation, every other world religion tries to solve and resolve by effort and by hard work. If you do enough good things, you can bridge that gap. But Christianity stands opposite of all those and says something entirely different. If you work hard, if you try to appease God and work your way into heaven, you will find yourself very disappointed. Paul says it really clearly in Romans chapter 4. He says, now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Catch that. There is a great contrast between belief and work. Every world religion says, if you work really hard, you'll appease God. But Christianity says, if you've not yet trusted in Jesus Christ, your sins will not be forgiven by what you do. Your performance will not resolve and bridge that gap. The only thing that will will be belief in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died to pay your penalty to bridge the gap for you because you could never do enough good things to bridge it. So if you're here this morning as we talk about this idea of diligence uh, saving you from ruin, it is not true if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ. It couldn't be farther from the truth, but to trust in Jesus is the opposite of work. 
It's to trust in one who did work on your behalf and his righteousness, his sacrifice counts as yours. If you are here this morning, though, and you have trusted in Jesus Christ, I want to challenge you that really, again, this idea of laziness is not just a neutral issue. It reveals your wisdom in life. It represents your righteousness, your spirituality. It is critical to your spiritual life. The lazy do not prosper. The lazy do not progress spiritually. The lazy do not mature. It takes spiritual discipline, which is why we call prayer, Bible study, meditation, those things that we call spiritual disciplines. They are vital to press forward toward maturity and toward being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You know, as we end this morning, I, I want to, as we transition uh, with Zach being in his last Sunday, I think Zach has been a great example of that. Uh, we had a, an opportunity on Friday night as a staff to talk and a shower of affirmation on Zach. And one of the things that Shelley Blum said, said that I thought was so phenomenal was the spheres of Zach's life all overlap. There, there are not areas of his life that are pulled apart from one another, but his work life, his, his relationship life, his home life, every arena of his life overlaps because every arena is the same. And in all of those arenas, you see a guy who's exerted discipline and who's worked hard, whose excellence has always been his hallmark. And so it's an opportunity for us that we want to show you guys a video this morning as we end the service of his time with us. Zach and I have been uh, friends for over 15 years. We have worked together. It's been almost eight years. And I will tell you, uh, it is really, really difficult for me to uh, have him leave our staff team. Uh, This is a great next step for him. But um, if you ever had a chance to work with Zach, uh, you know, Zach isn't into just his stuff. He is into uh, your stuff. He's, he is, uh, yeah, more ways than one, maybe. He's a sacrificial leader, and he's a servant leader. Um, on our staff team, Zach uh, is always there to help other people out in the things that they are doing. He gives of his time. He gives his money. He gives of his, his passion, and um, he will really, really be missed. One of the things I told him, we had a, a staff party, and we got to uh, tell him some of the things that we were grateful for in his life. And for me, uh, I told him what I, I really appreciate his, his um, willingness to... Uh, be a, a personal friend, you know, really, really good, close personal friend, but also kind of like Trey was talking about this morning, he worked with uh, diligence and integrity in absolutely everything that he did. He's really, he's been a gift to this church and he's influenced the entire culture of our church. So uh, as he goes away, we, we wanted to give him a little gift and I already presented this to him once, so the shock is gone for him a bit, but um, I'm going to read this to you. This is a gift still that we... Shocking. Still shocking. All right. Uh, this is a gift that we collected for Zach. It's uh, presented to Zach Migliazzo. It's a token of our love and esteem for you and our ongoing desire to invest in the lives of leaders. The congregation would like to present you with the gift of $10,500 toward your seminary tuition expenses. I want to clap for you and say thank you uh, in an unbelievable way. Um, when when this happened, the first service, I was a little bit out of a loss for words, and we ended the service very awkwardly because <laughs> I kind of went, thank you, uh, what do I do? Um, there's no way that I could even begin to express the gratitude and the humility that I received that with. And, you know, as we watch that video, for, for many of you, there are a lot of just random scenes. Like, what is that? <laughs> like, why is Batman... 
And um, the Joker cooking in the kitchen. Um, there's a lot of different things, but you know, every one of those things is some of those things I was behind the camera, some of those um, I was making those for different things or um, was in them and whatnot. And, and it, it, it floods me with um, so many of my best and most powerful memories of my life have been at this church. And it has been the greatest joy that I've had to be able to serve here and to work here and to, to give of myself and to be able to receive something so generous. Um, I just can't say thank you enough. So I'm just going to go now. <laughs> so, thank you very, very much. <laughs> oh, oh. I, I want to say one more story. One more story. I'm sorry. I was sitting in my office about a month ago, and uh, a friend of mine, um, an older friend of mine who came in my office and just to see how I was doing with the transition and whatnot. And, and he handed me an envelope and said, we want to help you with, with, uh, with DTS, with going to school. And he said, it's not much. And so, you know, obviously when someone says that, you come up with a number in your, in your head. And um, he left and I opened up the envelope and it was about 10 times more than I thought it was going to be. And for the next 15 minutes, I, I, I closed the blinds in my office. I didn't get on their desk and sleep, but I, I wept for about 15 minutes. I just could not, I couldn't stop. And this is so much more. I mean, you know, so th- I can't thank you enough of how much this means to me to, to be given this um, opportunity to be able to go to school and, and learn and, and to feel loved and affirmed from, from this body. Um, this has been a home for me, um, and I feel like I'm going to college. I feel like I'm leaving to go to college. I, I've told people, um, Navasota is where I grew up, but this has been where my home is. And so I thank you. My parents live in Navasota, and they're my home too, but this has been my home, and, and, and leaving this is very difficult. And so thank you very much. So, all right, that's, I think I'm done now. All right. Hey, we're going to go eat in here if you want to join us. <laughs> I think you can. Let me let me pray for us. You can stay for us. We'll do it without him. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll go eat. Father, thank you for Zach. Thank you for the incredible gift that he has been to this body. I thank you for his sacrifice, the way that he has uh, loved so many. I thank you, Father, that you've given him such great capacity to love. Pray that you continue to pour out your richest blessings on him as he leaves, and uh, that he would absorb so much truth from your word that you would equip him even more for a lifetime serving you. Father, pray that you give us a great time of fellowship at this meal. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Please come join us if you'd like to. We're going to be back here in the fellowship hall in just a minute. (laughs) I appreciate it.